Welcome to Policy Brief, an informed and engaging conversation with policymakers, policy influencers, and public sector professionals. Today, we're going to take a break from our normal routine of having conversations about COVID-19 and other public policy issues, and instead celebrate public service. As Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs, I am so inspired by the stories of service that come from the graduates of our undergraduate, our graduate professional, and our doctoral degree programs. These are people who have taken their knowledge, their skills, and their abilities, and they've taken the training they've received at the Glenn College and used it for public good in the public, the nonprofit, or the private sector. So today, we are going to honor three alumni award recipients and devote this episode to their inspiring stories of public service. Each year, the John Glenn College of Public Affairs honors an alum who has devoted their career to public service. This is our Distinguished Alumni Award for Career Achievement. Sometimes this award is for a singular event, but more often than not, it's to someone who has, over the course of a career, really demonstrated a commitment to serving others and using the degree uh, to advance the condition of those who are uh, in need of, of help and assistance from the public sector. This year's awardee is incredibly deserving. It is Ryan Geese, the director of the Department of Youth Services for the state of Ohio. Ryan has served the state of Ohio through the Department of Youth Services for almost his entire career, close to three decades of service. Having started at the Department of Youth Services soon after completing his uh, Masters of Public Administration from what was then the School of Public Policy and Management, now the Glenn College, and before that, completing a Bachelor's of Arts from Syracuse University. Um, he has been um, a clear example of someone who, particularly in dealing with a population that is very challenged, youth who are engaging the juvenile justice system, he has demonstrated a commitment to delivering the highest quality of programs through marshalling the appropriate resources, um, creating the right programs to put in place to help people in need, um, but more importantly throughout development, demonstrating a humanity um, and a commitment to the dignity of people who are uh, struggling through something that is a very, very challenging time in their lives. So it was a pleasure when this possibility came up to, to honor uh, Director Geese for his distinguished service. I wish we were meeting in person and I was handing you this award um, directly, uh, but please all of you out there join me in virtually congratulating Ryan for uh, receiving the Distinguished Alumni Award for Career Achievement. Oh, thank you so much. This is, uh, this is an honor and it's obviously a, a very humbling experience as well. Thank you. Well, Ryan, you kindly agreed to answer some questions I have that give us some insight into the good work that you do. But let's, let's start at the beginning. What, um, what made you pursue public service and, and who were some of your, your inspirations? Uh, I appreciate you taking me way back like that. It's, it's, it's interesting to be able to jump back in time in this conversation. But uh, you mentioned I went to Syracuse University. I actually went there uh, with aspirations of being a journalist. Uh, and, and pretty early on in taking a social science class called policy studies, I got extremely interested in public policy 
and the way that we as, as a civilization deal with social problems. So uh, before too long, I added a second major and then ended up uh, traveling to Columbus, Ohio to uh, the Ohio State University to get my master's in public administration. Uh, and as you're probably aware, I ended up uh, doing a specialization in criminal justice and correctional administration. So uh, among my uh, very influential mentors was, uh, was Ron Huff. Yeah. Um, his uh, leadership, his mentorship, and certainly his, his interest and expertise in both criminal justice and juvenile justice uh, played a big part. Um, in addition to the faculty, certainly there, the opportunity to just launch myself straight from uh, being uh, in the summer between my two years of the MPA program to entering in as an intern at the Ohio Department of Youth Services was obviously a, a wonderful launching pad for me and, and an opportunity to really take my fascination with public policy and social problems and apply it directly uh, into an agency that was going through some tremendous transformation and obviously dealing with the, the social problem of, of juvenile crime in Ohio. Another person that has been very instrumental and inspirational in my career has been Dr. Edward Latessa. Uh, he is, actually is a Ohio State grad for bachelor's, master's, and, uh, and PhD, uh, but he's somebody who's really paved uh, a trail for juvenile justice and criminal justice reform in Ohio. So um, tribute to him, a life, lifelong service of career, and, and the work that he's done with, with me personally as a mentor, uh, knowing my family and and everything, it's just just been wonderful. So the relationships that, that uh, we develop over the course of our career are really impactful and, and stay with us. So take us through your, your career a little bit. Um, when, when you set out on this adventure after you first left the MPA program, did you have it in your sights that you would be director of the Department of Youth Services? And um, my guess is no, but curious, just a little bit about the journey and, and what were the choices you saw as sort of critical along the way that got you to be in this, this position now? Yeah, I think only in hindsight can I say that I was, I was progressing towards being the director because I certainly never, never thought that along the way. And, and when I uh, joined the department, it was under the leadership of Director Dino Natalucci Persichetti, who for the first uh, you know, decade plus of my work there, he was the director and he was the only director that I had known at that time. So, uh, and a lot of our transformations took place during that time. So um, it's hard to say that I was, I was looking towards his path. It's also probably honestly hard to say that I was expecting to be at the Department of Youth Services 27 years later, but yeah. I was extremely fortunate to come into the department in an area that was working with county juvenile courts, that was working with a, a, a movement to support community alternatives versus incarceration of kids whenever that was possible. And as you referenced in the introduction, really taking the opportunity to try to look at kids as a whole, uh, take them at, at maybe one of the lowest points in their young lives and try to find ways to equip them, their families and their communities for a more successful future than they've had. So I, I, I like to joke and my, my youngest son says this is a classic dad joke, but I do like to joke to uh, our new our new class when they come in of new hires that that uh, I, I have the longest internship on history in the department because <laughs> there was really no discut disconnection between I think what I did as an intern and how how I moved forward it was a very logical progression I think I I moved from being an intern for almost a year to uh, being an administrative assistant still in the same office uh, moving to doing field monitoring to managing of our our county subsidies all the way up to, as you mentioned, being a deputy director over essentially everything other than the operation of our juvenile correctional facilities and then, and then moving to director. So 
there was never what I would say was sort of a, uh, a huge jump there. It was very much a logical progression. And I think it helped me build on the academic experiences, the real life experiences, and then apply kind of as I, as I went on. So it was, like I said, if I look back in reverse, I guess I was always working towards this, uh, even if that wasn't my concrete plan. So you've had this incredible career, almost three decades in the same enterprise, and now you're the leader of that enterprise. So you presumably know its ins and outs, its strengths, its weaknesses. Tell us a little bit about your current current role and, and what are your priorities? What do you want to hope, what do you hope to accomplish in your leadership? Yeah, I, I was very fortunate to be appointed to this position. Uh, I guess it was a year ago last January, close to two years, January of 2019 by Governor DeWine. And it's um, an opportunity to take what um, I was fortunate to work on with on the community side of our of our efforts and really apply it across the agency in partnership with county juvenile courts. So I have a vision that that juvenile justice is really just one part of us supporting our, our communities, supporting families, because no kid exists in a vacuum and no family exists in a vacuum. And, just because a kid has a label that's uh, a behavior that they had that, that, that was actually an offense doesn't define who that kid is and doesn't define what their future is. So the vision is that when we do have to remove a kid from, our, from their home, I wanna see it in the most normal, most transitional, most reentry-minded environment we can. Um, but the ultimate goal is, is the cliche of, you know, the right intervention at the right place at the right time. Uh, and certainly for the right kid, we we don't want to over-program, we don't want to over-restrict um, somebody who's in the growth and development stage of their lives. So as an agency as a whole, we want to really be a seamless continuum in partnership with, with our county juvenile courts so that any kid in Ohio um, who has made poor decisions ends up getting an opportunity and getting the appropriate level of accountability as well um, in response to what they've done so that that we meet what's really our ultimate definition of public safety. And, and that is that a kid will lead a law abiding life, not that they'll be removed from a society and incarcerated for a long period. So I can imagine that public service in general can be challenging, particularly as you move into a cabinet level position. But I, I would imagine that the world that you work in, dealing with young people who, as you say, are at a low point in their, their lives can can be taxing, can constrain you emotionally as well as just your sort of critical functions as you're trying to do your, your job and make all the trains run on time. How do you stay recharged? How do you keep that, that inspiration going uh, when you're, you're seeing some, some people at, at a very difficult stage of, of their life? Well, I, you hit on it a little bit, I think, and that's, that's being able to function at different levels. Um, the value of being able to work closely with kids and be able to work with our staff is that you stay in touch with reality. You um, are engaged in the personal stories and sometimes those hurt a lot. And sometimes those are, you know, huge successful moments because you see something happen that you didn't expect was going to happen. Um, but it, as I think you're referencing is if, if we get so bogged down in that as, as someone who's in a role of public administration that we end up, um, losing sight of, of really the greater good and the greater impact that we can have, um, then, then we lose something. So it's the ability, I think, and for me personally, is to combine the fact that I'm, I'm really fascinated with public policy and how communities work and how we incentivize the behavior that we want. And I don't just mean of, of young offenders, I mean of 
of people and, and stakeholders in society of decision makers, but how we incentivize what we what we want to see happen so that we can work towards the the ultimate goal, which is a you know being a caring society that meets the needs of our individuals while also holding um, uh, folks accountable and making sure that we've got you know a, a safe community safe communities for all of us to live in. So for me personally, it's it's really a mix of of my fascination with public policy and how things work with the um, investment that we have in, in young people, whether they're kids that are first coming in front of a juvenile court judge or they're kids that have been committed to us for a period of six months up until their 21st birthday. Well, Ryan, we as members of the state of Ohio and community members here, we thank you for your service and your care and attention to a population that needs a, a lot of attention. So. Thank you and congratulations once again on your well-deserved honor as our Career Achievement Distinguished Alumni Award winner. Thank you so much, Dean Brown, I appreciate it. Our second award is our Young Alumni Award. So each year we give out an award recognizing someone early in their career who's graduated from one of our degree programs who even though they are young in their career has already had a tremendous impact, uh, perhaps in their profession, but broadly in, in public service. This year's award winner has clearly met the, the threshold. Somebody at a very early stage in their career has just been um, incredibly impactful, not just in starting their own organization as you're gonna hear, but starting an organization that's really had a global impact. This year's a winner is Kwame Christian, who's a 2013 graduate of our dual MAJD program, our partnership with the Moritz College of Law. And the Moritz College of Law has an exceptional reputation uh, in alternative dispute resolution and conflict negotiation. And Kwame, who, who graduated less than a decade ago, has parlayed that, that experience and that education into something called the American Negotiation Institute, uh, which services a broad array of clients, um, including those in the public sector, in tackling difficult and challenging issues uh, and using negotiation um, as a tool and a technique uh, for, for resolving dispute, but also just growing the organization and the enterprise. Uh, Kwame's uh, organization has been active in almost 200 countries around the globe, servicing a broad array of, of clients. Um, Kwame is also the host uh, of a highly subscribed podcast on negotiation, one that we hope many of you will start to listen to after this, after you hear um, from him, I'm, I'm sure you'll be hooked. Um, but that podcast, in some instances, has been downloaded over 150,000 times, a very popular podcast on negotiation. So I'm so pleased and privileged, wish I was doing it in person, um, uh, but to award this year's Young Alumni Award uh, to Kwame Christian. Congratulations, Kwame. Thank you. I appreciate it, Trevor. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining me. And Kwame is going to um, join me in a bit of a conversation uh, about himself and his, his organization. So Kwame, you, you pursued both uh, the, the, dual, the JD and the, uh, the MA um, out of the, the, what was then the School of Public Policy and Management, now the, the Glenn School, and then ultimately the Glenn College. 
Um, what, what inspired you to uh, pursue this partner degree and, and ultimately go into public service? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I feel like um, as much as I want to take credit for it, a lot of it has to come from my family too. And so I was always interested in um, government and policy and, and politics. And so I, I wanted to have an impact on a larger scale using that type of expertise. And so in my family, when you think about my mom's side and my dad's side, we have on my mom's side, uh, my grandfather, Oscar Henry, was the first permanent secretary of the country of Guyana. Um, so the year when they got their independence, when they achieved their independence, um, he was the first permanent secretary, which is um, more or less secretary of state uh, for the country. And then on my dad's side, the family's always been involved in politics. My great uncle wrote the score of the national anthem for the country of Dominica. And so um, we, we have a long history of, of involvement in governmental activities. And so I think that's really what motivated me to create this organization and try to stay involved however I could as it relates to politics and policy in the US. So thank you for sharing that. I'm so impressed by your, your, your family's history. Can I also assume then that your, um, your, your parents and grandparents' involvement um, in the various ways that you just described also explains the um, sort of global orientation of the American Negotiation Institute. So even though it is the American Negotiation Institute, um, your orientation is, is global. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's one of the fun things about the podcast, because the podcast has been heard in over 180 countries, close to 2 million downloads now. And it's, it's been great to see the reach. And so one of our interns is actually in Nigeria. And she created this program for youths between the age of 15 and 20, um, learning how to use negotiation and conflict resolution as a peace building tool, because right now there's a lot of unrest going on in Nigeria. So we gave her the the all of the information that she needed to and the guidance and the mentorship she needed to to produce that program and she she did an incredible job so we're looking for different ways to have more of a global impact that's our african reach and then also back home in guyana uh, there was a lot of political unrest recently and so we're trying to find ways to to partner with organizations like caricom which is Cari the caribbean community um, trying to find ways to partner with them to promote peace through negotiation and conflict resolution as well. So you've begun to explain a little bit about ANI, but uh, tell us about that journey. How did you decide to start this organization? Again, you've done this at a very early stage of your career. And then tell us a little bit more about it, what, what its founding purpose is, who are the clients that you serve, and what are the services that you provide? Yeah, and so I wanted to build an organization that I wish existed. <laughs> and so that's really what led me to do it. And so um, as, a, as an attorney, I did some civil rights work beforehand, and then I started my own practice doing business law. And now with the American Negotiation Institute, our motto is this, uh, the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. So mm -hmm. with what we do, our hope is to help to make these difficult conversations easier. And with the, that focus, obviously there's a, a clear business focus. We have some large Fortune 500 companies that under our belt who are our clients, who help us, who, who we help with negotiation and conflict resolution types of trainings. We've also worked with um, different branches of the government like the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration for their negotiations and the Army Defense Acquisition University. Uh, they purchase all of the, the weapon systems for the United States working with their negotiations too, but also recognizing with that broad 
type of mandate that we have making these difficult conversations easier it's also led us into some exciting different places that aren't so business driven so how to have difficult conversations about race that's been something that we've been doing uh, programs we've been doing here in the us because that's been uh, a unique struggle of 2020. Um, more recently we've partnered with linkedin to produce a course on how to have difficult conversations about politics now because uh, things are very divisive and it's kind of tearing people apart in the workplace. And so we were creating content to help them with that. And so it's it's been really fun to see the global impact because the reality is we all struggle with this in some capacity. We all are having these difficult conversations. And so I'm able to take the tools that I learned from uh, the Glenn College and from the Ohio State Morris College of Law, put those together and, and share it with the world. And it's been really impactful. So to pull this to a close, um, we have a lot of people who will look to you as a role model, somebody who, um, once again, early on has already made an impact, didn't have to stand in line, got to do something right, right away after finishing their degree. And I don't mean to diminish, I'm sure, all the hard work that went into it, but it's a remarkable accomplishment early on. What, what advice do you have to somebody who may be in the same shoes you were a decade ago? Um, an undergraduate um, at Ohio State or, or someone navigating the graduate degree program. What, what advice and guidance do you have for somebody who wants to go out and make an impact early? I think it's this, you, you have to be true to yourself. And I know that seems so lame, but let me go a little bit deeper <laughs> into that. Um, because I was the guy who was graduating from law school after passing the bar and graduating from the Glenn College. And I was getting sworn in and I was asking myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> I still, it still wasn't clear on it. And so the, the focusing question that I used that really helped me was, what would I do if everything in the world was free? What hmm. would I do if everything in the world was free? After I've traveled and did all that fun stuff, what would I do for meaning? And so it took me a long time to figure that out. I mean, over a month of introspection trying to figure out what that answer was for me. And as much as I loved resolving conflict myself as a mediator, as a lawyer, negotiating, I recognized that I loved teaching it even more. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, Trevor, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I was that guy who was a pushover. And then negotiation helped me to overcome that. And that's when I came up with that motto, the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. So for me, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to teach that. And so once I figured out what that was for me, I said, I'm going to push everything else to the side and make that happen. Well, it is a pleasure to formally award you the Young Alumni Award. And we will do this in person one day where we give you the physical award that you can proudly display on your shelf with your multiple degrees from The Ohio State University. So Thank congratulations, Kwame. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Our third alumni award is our Alumni Service Award. This award is given to an alum of the Glenn College who has devoted their time and talents to the college and its programs. So the first two awards were for the good work that our graduates go and do in their profession, in the community, et cetera. This is an award about giving back. Uh, about paying it forward and contributing to the lives of others within the college. This year, it is with appreciation and sadness that I announce that our award winner is Yvonne Lasico. 
who graduated with her MPA in 1995 and is no stranger to the Glenn College or the Ohio State House. Yvonne spent most of her career advocating for others on issues that she cared so deeply about, including women in government. For over a decade, she was the face of the Ohio Farm Bureau at the Ohio State House, and while doing so, she worked tirelessly to encourage and mentor and elect more women to leadership roles in Ohio. Yvonne has been a longtime supporter of the Glenn College's New Leadership Ohio program that encourages and prepares collegiate women from throughout Ohio to seek public and political leadership roles and encourage them to one day run for office. And when the Glenn College wanted to expand its women leadership programming, Yvonne enthusiastically agreed to help by serving on our Power Commission, helping to raise over $150,000 for programming that trains women to run for office, work as community advocates, and seek leadership roles. Sadly and unexpectedly, Yvonne passed away this year, but not before she made an indelible mark on the college's leadership initiatives and broadly the life of the college. While her energy and her guidance will be deeply missed, her work will live on through the programs and the women that she helped to inspire, to lead and serve for decades to come. The remainder of this video will be uh, a conversation from uh, two people who, who knew her well. Uh, Mike Toman, who was one of her classmates and uh, served with her at the State House as a lobbyist, albeit for a different firm, and Michelle Fitzgibbon, another lobbyist and friend who served with her uh, and serves with her on the Power Commission for the Glenn College. Yvonne, we met the first day of class and um, she, was, she and I were the first one to arrive and we, we were fast friends. Yvonne never met a stranger. Um, she welcomed sort of a homesick kid from that state up north. I'm from Michigan, so she gave me a hard time about it immediately. Um, as Yvonne would, and um, but she took me under her wing. So Yvonne and I first met um, just around the State House. Uh, at the time, she was a lobbyist for um, Cincinnati Bell, and um, I was a lobbyist in a multi-client lobbying firm. And just from our work um, at the State House, uh, we just became uh, fast friends. She invited many of us to their home, her and Scott's home over the years. Um, Almost immediately, though, we, we there was a group of us from grad school that um, would go to her home and have a lot of fun, and she always welcomed them, welcomed all of us um, with open arms, and it was it was kind of our home away from home. Um, that's just how Yvonne was, uh, always very welcoming and, and very kind to everybody at uh, at the time in, in, in grad school. Um just had the opportunity to be friends, be work colleagues. Um, she's um, the godmother of my um, nine-year-old. Uh, we were a long time ago in a book club together. Um, she's just, just a remarkable person that you want to be around. Um, I was just very drawn to her personality. And, and as soon as I met her at the State House, I thought I just need to spend more time with her. She's a fantastic person. She was an early advocate an ambassador for the college and really starting um, earlier than many of us um, with both her treasure and her time. 
So Yvonne was passionate about everything that Yvonne did. So anyone who knows Yvonne knows she only picked the things that she could be super passionate about. Like she, whatever she gave her time to meant that she was all in, loved it and very passionate about it. You know, she was always trying to recruit somebody from the state house. Obviously we get to deal, we get to work with a lot of young people um, uh, that are staffers at the state house and um, she, along with myself and others, um, but she was one of the big, big recruiters, you know, to get people to think about going and getting uh, uh, initially a, a master's. Um, she taught classes. She worked informally informally with the um, Glenn Institute, what was originally an ad hoc committee um, when it was the Glenn Institute. And then it obviously became an alumni society. Um, and, and then obviously she worked with the uh, Women of Power events. Um, uh, and so she, she was, you know, Yvonne was, was always working on something with, the, with the John Glenn college. And, and, um, I got to be, I was lucky enough to be part of a lot of those, um, things as well. But, um, usually when I called her and say, Hey, do you want to help on this? She would say, I'm already working on Toman. Um, you know, like, of course you are, of course you're already working on it, you know? Um, so, but, um, so, you know. I think that says a little bit more about, you know, how, how involved she was with the college and how much she loved it and, um, you know, made it part of every day at the State House, if you will. Overall, the Power Commission is just doing some great work and it's hard not to be, you know, wanting to be more engaged. Um, it's a great group of women who are working hard, but even when you talk to other people out there, they want to be involved with everything that's going on at the Power Commission. It's some really good stuff and I think it just fit perfectly into everything that Yvonne put her heart and soul into. You can't go to that new leadership meeting and be surrounded by those 20 to 30 young ladies who are just full of energy and passionate about, you know, doing something. They don't know what it is yet, but, you know, they definitely have big dreams and they're just so energetic and um, they're a, just an amazing group every year. You're like, this group can't get any better and they do. And the um, young ladies stay in touch with you. They will send you letters. We've had lots of coffee meetings um, following up and um, it's, it's just a great network and I'm super passionate about, you know, getting together with them. And for Yvonne, I think, you know, I think she feels, you know, beholden to, you know, help people and wanting to help those, you know, young women who are trying to decide where they, you know, fit in and what they want to do. I think mentoring was a big part of what she believed in. And, you know, also, again, politics, um, trying to make sure that, you know, women can run, getting them into positions that they can make those policies. Um, you know, I think that was equally important to her. Obviously, it's shocking to a lot of us to lose her so early in, in life and, and unfair um, to those of us that call her a friend. Um, obviously, her family feels that way, too. You know, her number one priority of her entire life were her boys, her husband and her son. So they came first and then her career and then, you know, her um, I would say her husband and her family, definitely close to her family, so I don't wanna leave them out, but um, you know, her career and then everything else. And um, you know, she, she loved her career. Um, she started out at the Farm Bureau and again, moved to Cincinnati Bell and then got the opportunity to go back to the Farm Bureau. And that to her was just like home. That's like where she 
where she needed to be and um, to be able to spend um, the you know last part of her career there I think was just such a blessing for her so um, it's it, I think they were quite fortunate to get her back you, you know I think her legacy she was a she's a lobbyist lobbyist I mean um, she had the highest integrity um, very honest fierce competitor um, you know um, there weren't, there, you know, when we started, when she and I started lobbying, not that long ago, there weren't a lot of women lobbyists, honestly. I think she was um, a mentor um, and a hero to many people that wanted to get into the business, many women that wanted to get into the business. And, and, and those of us that called her a friend, she was a lobbying association president. Um, so she was chosen among her peers to be, to lead the lobbying association over the years. She was on that board for seven years and then was the president. Um, and went home to, to, to work at the Farm Bureau, which, you know, was her first love. She actually worked there while she was in grad school um, and then went back to, to the Farm Bureau. So she was incredibly accomplished, incredibly will be, you know, she's incredibly missed. I think she's going to be remembered in a lot of places. Um, but, you know, hopefully um, for those young women who she was able to connect with, Hopefully she was able to give them some advice that, you know, is just going to guide them for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, down at the state house, I think it just her energy and her honest approach to things are just things that people can, you know, try to emulate and, and just remember and, and say, you know, you know, as I'm maturing into this lobbying role, that's somebody that, you know, I want to be like, um, and um, the Farm Bureau made these bracelets that would always say, it's um, what would Yvonne ask? And so it's um, WWYA. And, you know, um, she was always prepared. She was prepared for every single meeting. And so they were always saying, you know, that, that they needed to make sure that they were prepared to have a meeting with her because what would Yvonne ask in that meeting? And you want to be prepared for that. You know, her legacy, you know, she always had life balance and some of us, um, it's easy to mistake our jobs at the state house and, and politics for, um, for our life. And, it's, you know, she always kept, you know, Scott and Oscar and her family uh, as a priority and kept that balance. And I think, um, you know, I think that's kind of her legacy because she, she was really tough, a really great lobbyist, really good friend, but at the end of the day, um, she knew what was most important, and that was her family and, and our friends. So I think that's her legacy more than anything.